Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey guys, it's Jessie. And I'm Helen. And you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under. It's so hot today, Helen. I think it's 27 here where I am. Where are you? Yeah, it's approaching 27 as well. I just came back from walking my dogs because I know that we're going to record this uh-huh. episode like almost at midday. And I thought that, oh, I either do it early in the morning or otherwise it'll be too hot Yeah. towards the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, it just suddenly got really hot the last two days. Well, I was, didn't it? I was anticipating this because I track mm-hmm. the weather. Um, yep. And I knew that today was going to reach 27. And Ooh. you know this kind of lingering burden, this dread hung over me in the last day or so because I was like, mm-hmm. all I really want to do is be indoors all day and write my books and read. Um, but it's mm-hmm. really hard. I think that that's why it's hard to live in a city like LA or Sydney where the sun is always out because you feel the pull of the outdoors. And if you're not yes. out there, you feel bad. Yeah, and I think, right. honestly, like... yeah, I just think, honestly, there is a there is some sort of inextricable link between the art that gets created in a city and um, sort of the productivity of its citizens, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. having a teacher when I was playing the violin. He said to me, you know, there's a reason why all the best violinists are in Russia, are live in Russia. And I was like, why? He's like, because it's fucking cold all the time. It's like minus zero most of the year. So mm-hmm. all they have to do, all they can do is it's like, practice. yeah, it's practice indoors. And I was like, oh, so like, I am never going to be a star because I live in Sydney. And fucking Sydney, like the only thing you can do is go to the beach. Yeah, I know. You you do feel like you're wasting your life if such a glorious weather and you don't go I out. I know. Yeah, it's, that's yeah. why I need to move somewhere else. Because <laughs> I don't want a life where I just go to the beach. You know, like what kind of life is that? Oh, what's wrong with that? What what am, what am I gonna have on my tombstone? <laughs> Jesse too went to the beach a lot. Beach bum. Like how am I how am I changing the world by going to the beach? <laughs> well, at least you're enjoying <laughs> you <know>? yourself. <laughs> but how are you bettering the world by enjoying yourself? That's so. You're not creating a problem for the mental health system, <laughs> I guess. Okay, <laughs> you're, you're not after overburdening yourself. the mental health. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Self care. Yeah, that's so important. Oh my god! So, do you want to start first of what you your okay. media consumption of this <laughs> week? So, this week I'm just going to talk about the film that Billy and us um, over the weekend we watched, um, mm-hmm. "Death Becomes Her." So, it was my idea. Billy was like, "Yeah, I hadn't seen mm-hmm. it for a long time," so we watched it, and it was just for those who don't know, it's a film starring uh, Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn, and Meryl Streep from 1992. And I was pulled to it because I was thinking about this essay collection I'm writing and about the films that had really shaped who I am as a woman, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. this film, just watching it for the first time since I was a little girl, watching it with Billy, was so... It was incredible because I, I, I realised how, how, how frightening it is that this one film had shaped my greatest fears in terms of what it means to be a woman and how I can make sure that I am loved by a man yeah. and my worth as a woman. Uh-huh. And so for those who don't know, 
Death Becomes Her is a film by Robert Zemeckis. It's basically about two rival women who were friends, but then one of them snatches another one's fiancé, and then the other one drinks a potion that makes her look younger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the other, uh, and then Meryl Streep, who plays the star, Madeline Ashton, she also, after, like, we follow her throughout the years, and she's now in her 40s, and she's, like, petrified of getting older. So mm-hmm. it's these two vain women who are really struggling with their sense of, like, worth and value in society. And it's it's really a comment on the ways in which, in Hollywood... Like in society, women are measured by their physical beauty and their youth. That's right, yes. Yeah, and, like, I mean, do you... I, rem- I remember, like, watching it on Saturday night with Billy and Kyle and and then I texted you, Helen, about mm-hmm. it afterwards. But yep. do you remember anything about the film? Like, did it have such a massive impact on you in the way that it did for me? I don't know. I didn't. I don't think it had such a big impact for me when I was watching it. It's probably because I... I mean, I consider, when I was younger, I consider usefulness and beauty was an element that's very important. But it wasn't as a priority, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And looking back, because you mentioned it to me and I had to go up to YouTube and kind of refresh my mind. And I thought, yeah. oh, yeah, okay, that's the film. And I remember how silly it looked to me, mm. as in how the movie portrays two women trying to battle it out. You know, fighting yeah. over for a man, essentially. Yeah. Using yeah. their beauty, and they, yeah. they all end up looking such a disastrous. Oh, it's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah. So, um, spoiler alert for those who haven't watched it. You should totally fucking go out and watch it. It's seriously one of my favorite films. Um, what what happens is um, when once these women drink the potion, then they realize that they're actually also immortal, so mm-hmm. they'll never die. Mm-hmm. And um, the so I have to say, I'll just really quickly speak about two scenes that really petrified me as a young girl. Um, the first scene is um, we see at the very beginning of the film um, Meryl Streep's character um, stealing Bruce Willis away from Goldie Horn and. Um, there's a scene where we see Meryl Streep and Bruce Willis get married and then and then the camera pans to Goldie Horn and she's gripping this tissue or this um mm. this kind of handkerchief in her hands and then she grips it so hard because she's so angry mm-hmm. and hurt um that blood seeps out of her fingers mm. that really that's that kind of <clears throat> some more symbol of that really tight grip of, from Goldie Horn always always stuck with me very violently. Mm-hmm. And because the next scene it flashes it flashes forward seven years later and then we see Goldie Horn is now this ginormous like a, she's like a monster. She's mm-hmm. huge mm-hmm. and she's by herself in an apartment with like a million cats. The the apartment stinks, it's like disgusting, it's there's mess and junk and food everywhere, it's uncleaned. And then we see Goldie Horn reach inside her cabinet in the kitchen and there's just like le- f- rows and rows of f- icing, like frosting. Mm-hmm. And then she takes one out, um, and her hair is just messy. Her she's in like the most daggy clothes. She's massive, and she s- sits down on her couch, uh, and she scoops with her fingers, scoops out the frosting, and kind of just jams it in her mouth. Mm-hmm. And that that scene really petrified me as a young girl watching it because I directly 
I directly made the link that if you do not keep the love of a man, you are going to end up like Goldie Hawn. That's so fucked. Like you're going to end up fat. I know. That's such a fucked it's... up portrayal of, it's like telling oh that um, if the woman doesn't, hasn't been valued by a man or there's no connection with a man that you end up as a failure. Was that, was that, yeah. that's essentially what was trying to say, wasn't it? Well, not, not just a failure, but this repulsively large yeah, visually as in the visual yeah sense. visually yeah. repulsive human elephant yeah like that's what scared me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah and this the the second scene that really petrified me and there were so many scenes in the movie petrified me you know i remember watching it a lot as a young girl and like um it was always playing on channel 10 mm-hmm. like 8 30 on sundays and the the trailer on the tv was always like the scene where goldie horn um screams out i have a hole in my stomach you know that scene yeah um and the the one scene that really petrified me as a girl is the very last one where bruce willis uh he's dead now there's a funeral for him uh like 37 years later Mm. and um goldie horn and meryl streep are at his funeral Mm. and then they come out they trip over a set of stairs and then they literally break Mm like these broken women and they that when they lift their veils like their their skin their face is just horrifying mm-hmm. just like all these visual things it really stays with you as a young girl mhm mhm yeah i wonder what was the intention of making that movie as in it, it is ironic you come come to think about it that i think until now that woman we're still pretty much being dictated by the capitalism society of how to keep up appearances. I don't know. Yeah, keep up with their appearances. Just yesterday, I was just chatting with my friends online. Mm. Um, someone said that they went out and bought like five or six those, you know, cellulite gel? Cellulite gels. For where? For, you know, there's a... For, for your thighs or for your oh. stomach or when you have lines and things like that yeah yeah, yeah. because there was a sale of course and then she made a comment saying that oh um after age 40 you know you really hate of being a woman and then someone else's comment oh you know that there's anti-aging products for girls or not for women for women Mm. who's like 25 they're using it 25 years old use using (laughs) anti-aging products (laughs) when i'm almost 40 year old i haven't really used any of them i just feel sad for how woman is you know how how our society has always been put it like brainwashed woman into this kind of thing and it's really yeah. time wasting as well i mean of course everyone's got a, a option of choosing whether or not you want to keep up with, with their appearance but i think it's kind of mentally and money and time draining yeah and it's taken away time for women to actually <laughs> i don't know concentrate or do yeah some, to do work. something of substance yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah exactly but of course well, there will be women that considers that appearance is the substance that they want to keep up and that's fine with that but i think i don't know hopefully there's the next generation like like what, what my daughter said the other day she was questioning she was asking something about um she was asking her dad about something in science in relation to science how come it takes so long to for the scientists to discover certain mm. things and then I think my husband was just trying to explain to her, you know, it's difficult and things like that. 
it takes a long time yeah. and people don't get it you know at first you have to trial error and things like that for scientists and then she made a comment that i thought was kind of logic as well yeah what did she say she said oh is it because there's no enough female scientists yeah as in you know there's not enough female scientists in like past decades and centuries yeah. because we've been blocked yeah to do to enter that yeah. industry yeah. not ne- not necessarily uh block in a way that is shown not visibly blocked but because how society has con- constrained women to be in the workplace do certain things yeah that's right yeah so it kind of um stopped a lot of women yeah who precisely. might have wanted to do science but not been able to yeah yeah i feel i've always felt that the ways in which women have been prescribed value you know the physical beauty and all that and making sure that we keep mm-hmm. up with appearances that's always been prescribed to us by men by historically by mm-hmm. the patriarch so that we wouldn't yeah we, so that they wouldn't have to compete with us so that we wouldn't yeah. be there mm-hmm. to like so we would use up all our time on like makeup putting on makeup and making our hair better right. spending all our mm-hmm. money on really expensive plastic surgery procedures <laughs> like all all those things that make make us feel like we need to do that have always been things that um have been policed by other people i.e men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um and you just turn woman against woman like what you see in the film yeah well turn, yeah. this is the thing just bringing it back to the film death becomes her which is what we're talking about this morning um really i love this film because ostensibly at the beginning, you watch it once and you think, okay, these are two women vying for one man, Bruce Willis. But the thing is, if you've, if you, as those of you have, listeners who have watched the film, Bruce Willis is a complete beta male in this movie. Like, he's a <laughs> yeah. flaccid, pathetic, like, loser with no personality. Um, and it's, it's, it's like it's such an interesting role that he would take because you know Bruce Willis is such a A-list Hollywood star, but it's it's like such stunning casting because you see really the film is about these two powerful women who are aggressively vying for their own beauty and it actually has I think nothing to do with Bruce Willis at all. It has nothing to do with winning the love of a man. It's it has everything to do with this idea of two women being sucked into this delusion of beauty mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. seeing the consequences of that mm, that's true at least we learn something from it's incredible <laughs> yeah oh it's incredible i want to watch it again yeah fantastic yeah so let's take a let's take a quick break um before we launch into helen's media consumption back to Asian Bitches Down Under. Um, Helen, let's talk about what you consumed this week in terms of media. Okay, so last week, um, if, for those who um, do follow SBS's um, programs, there's a new mm. um, Vietnamese-Australian Australian, Australian um, TV show. Yeah, the drama came out last week. It's called Hungry Ghost. Um, it was a little confusing at the beginning for me. Um and because the storyline is blurred, when you have, I think you mentioned it before as well, it, they, they have multiple characters in multiple family. 
Yeah. But they blend it in the similar encounters, which uh, is seeing ghosts, okay, essentially. But it was a bit confusing for me because I'm trying to follow, you know, the certain character, but they had a lot of characters in this um, drama, which was a bit confusing for me. It was so confusing. I only yeah. saw the first episode <laughs> and then I stopped because I was like, so many, so, like, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you my reservations, but first okay. you go. Yeah, so for those who doesn't know, it's actually based around the this festival called Ghost Month Celebration. Um, this is what I know, like from my own knowledge as in growing up in Taiwan. So in mm. the lunar, lunar month of July, which is essentially around August of the Western calendar, um, the gate of the hell opens. So all the glow- ghosts are, you know, free to roam around the human world during this month. And during this time... People have like worship, a ceremony of the dead. We, we call it Dongyuan Pudu. Um, it's essentially, you know, when we're growing up, we have like this worshipping thing happening um, during specific mm. um, time of the year. We have food and we put it in front of our ancestor Anc- place. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. S- the, statue, the statue thing. Yeah, that's right. The Buddha statue. Is that when, when my mum used to call it the ghost month? Yeah, the ghost month. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mum used to say like, don't put the clothes out on the yeah, vine yeah, yeah. That's the night. What, that's what She's like, because the ghosts are going <laughs> to overtake right. your clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So usually this month, when we were growing up, you know, there's myths that we've been told as kids that we need to uh, follow certain guidelines to avoid dangers. For example, like you, you, Jesse just mentioned that don't hang up your clothes at night because the clothes might be possessed with a ghost. One very popular one is that don't go swimming in the river or the beach because Why? usually during this time the drowned ghost, <gasps> we'll which is the down. one that we, it, yeah appeared in the drama as well, will pull you down um, to take you as a replacement to. Um, what what's it called? Reincarnate, yeah. re reincarnate, reincarnate. Yeah. yeah. And don't travel, minimize your traveling, and all all sort of this kind of myth, like essentially kind of kind of try to scare the kids because adults grow up with experience, and when you uh kind of combine the experience with the myth, you know they believe it's a fact. I I think um usually um because uh in Ghost month up on northern hemisphere mm. is summer. Yeah. Whereas yeah. we have winter here. So during summer, of course, a lot of people yeah. go out to swim, and that's when right. most drowning will happen. And they kind of combine this to, yeah. to to kind of scare the kids. Um. So this is the drama that is based on the kind of the celebration during the ghost month. Um. My review for the drama is that I kind of hate. It's it's a big mixing feeling of okay. hate and what, like okay, let's start of the with, drama yeah. because it's it's centered on Vietnam War again. Vietnam War, yeah. Yeah, I initially dislike it because I, I don't, I kind of got over the, like I can't, I don't understand like the West media entertainment industry still have to exploit the stories around Vietnam Wars. Yeah. When they're talking about when they're making connections with Vietnamese people. Yeah. It's kind of glorify what the West has done with the country, which right. also literally nothing, and they never really address the damage they have done. Yeah. But at the same time, towards the end of the drama, mm. this is how the drama unfolds into um, the one of the character, the white character, the which photographer. One? Oh, Neil, Brian, Bra- uh, Brian, Brian Brown. Brian Brown, yes. God, <laughs> yeah. Jesus, Brian Brown is literally every single Australian <laughs> yeah. show. Like, do we have another iteration of Bri- a white straight man, please? Come on. He's like 150 years old. Yeah, he's... <laughs> Australia, can we do better, please? 
So he was holding an exhibition. So his his um, character in the drama is a, like a for, um, photographer. Photo, yeah, photographer, journalist. yeah. Yeah, photographer. That's right. Yeah. Of his experience in Vietnam War. And he's kind of receiving the backlash from the Vietnamese immigrants calling out, you know, you don't understand the pains and suffering we have to, when you went through and you're showing it off in, in the exhibition. Yeah. You know, what do you think you're doing? Uh-huh. So, you know, the value of photography and exploitation um, of this work made me think, you know, it's also if, for the people who are going to watch this drama, you mm. have to watch like because there's four four episodes. Yeah. There's one episode of showing the o- opening of the exhibition. Mm-hmm. You can see it's literally all white, mainly white people. Right. Interesting. And that the opening of ex- his exhibition, ex- sorry, exhibition was based around the photos that he's taken around the the Vietnam War. Like yeah. the pain and the suffering, like yeah. kids crying when the bomb comes, when yeah. they injure people and things like that. Uh, so during the opening, he had uh, someone, like another Vietnamese immigrant, punched him and called him out that he's like kind of exploiting on this history. Wow. I kind of wish that happened in real life. That was really good. That was a that, brilliant like, physical moment. physical violence actually happened in um, photo exhibition openings. That actually never happens because... You know, real life photo exhibitions are too civilized. But go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a brilliant moment. I feel, and and then he, uh, Neil, which is the character that Brian Brown played, he went back and thought about it and trying to, like, it's kind of like a awakening moment for him. Of he course, because it's I, all I about him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he shouldn't be like exploiting. Shouldn't be showing only the suffering. He should be showing the happiness of what you right, know, the right. Vietnamese community has come become. Yeah. And the second exhibition, so he put on... Oh, my God, he has two exhibitions? Yeah, of course, the second night, okay? The second night. Oh, right. He had... He displayed more of the photo that is representing joyfulness and happiness in Vietnam. And also he... I think the drama portrayed a journey for him as a recovery and healing as well because he... The ghost that he sees, the character in the drama... I mean, yeah. that Asian man, yeah. Yeah, the Asian man. And also, at the end, you know yeah. that he's seeing his daughter as well. You don't know. I mean, my husband, <gasps> Sean picked Oh, my God, out. so that... Oh, my God, so I that daughter... I can't give you the spoiler, oh shit. Oh, my God, you totally spoiled it for me! <laughs> okay. So that daughter was... Oh, my God, that daughter was not real. Should we just redo, redo this time? They had to re-edit, no, okay? Yeah. No, this is so funny. We should keep it. But So oh, that okay. daughter was not real. Oh, but it's a spoiler now. Fuck. Oh, who cares? No, I'm, go- I'm not going to tell you anymore. Yeah. Anyway, okay. it's it's a journey for him as a like a recovery and healing journey for him, I think. But he's not this... a center. I, I don't really think he's a center. He's not the center person so of character. the drama because yeah, right. you know okay. you see the what's the what's the lady's name Catherine Van Davis, Davis? Yeah, 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 where yeah, this... he play, he plays May. Yeah, yeah, May. Yeah, yeah. But her her story kind of confuses me as well. It was really difficult to follow. Okay, can I just say, um, everything you said about Brian Brown's uh, character reminds me of that episode we did about white photojournalism and how photojournalists are the patrons of the lens in which everyone else sees the world, through which everyone else sees the world, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I had objections. The only objections I had after seeing the first, okay, number one, I saw the first episode and I was like, 
there were literally about a hundred characters thrown at yeah, me, there was and I was a like, lot. "What the fuck? I'm so confused." And then one, one at one stage, a young girl disappears in her bathtub, and then instead of calling the police, the <laughs> mum goes to a psychic. What? Yeah, it was what just very fuck? illogical. It was so weird. And then when Ryan Core came onto the scene as the doctor, uh-huh. um, I was like. Oh God, Ryan Core, seriously, um, <laughs> he's too good looking to be a doctor. I don't believe this, so I stopped watching after the first uh-huh. episode. Yeah, the the middle episodes was quite hard to follow, but it kind mm. of comes everything comes back all together in the final episode. But I do think it's just too long. I think per episode was mm. almost an hour. I think they could have, I don't know if it's budget issues or things like that. They could have made it into like a 40 or at least 30 minute episode and eight episodes. That would kind of be better because like every episode, I feel like towards 30 too minute long. mark, yeah. I feel just too long. You're bored. Uh, yeah. I was bored yeah. and the the story with May, um, I just can't, I don't know. I just feel like I'm so tired of seeing the repetitiveness because she was trying to look for the soul of this like Vietnamese yeah the Vietnamese monk apparently is supposed to be evil and I'm just repeatedly watching her saying that I don't know where's the third soul I don't know where's the second soul and it's just it's just because so much yeah it's just so repetitive so annoying so annoying yeah, but overall, well, so I think it's good. Yeah, is is Catherine Davies, whatever her name is, um, Van Davies? Is she Vietnamese? I think she's mixed. I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming. She, I haven't yeah, she up. doesn't look fully Asian. No. Yeah. She looks half she something looks else. Half, yeah. And yeah, I think I was a bit annoyed by um, some of the interactions that the Asian people had, like the Vietnamese people had. Mm. Like, for instance, in the first scene where May, um, Catherine Van Davies's character, interacts with her grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, her grandma says to her, I love you or something. And I was like, we don't fucking do that. <laughs> Nobody, no Asian people says I love you to each other. Yeah. That does not exist in an Asian family. Not even okay? with the so native like, language, I think. Exactly. Cool. So I was like, this is right, written clearly written by white people. Uh-huh. We Asians yeah. don't say I love you to each other. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Just yeah. get that simple shit right, you know? I kind of feel oh. a bit strange. So, oh God, Australian yeah. writing. Seriously, get... get <laughs> Get better writers. Yeah. I, I'm so pissed off at Australian. I kind of get. Dramas. I, I kind of got annoyed as well. Where you think May as a, we should be like second generation immigrants, hmm. and the script puts her in working in a nail salon. That just oh, that was amplified weird. That was really the whole weird. stereotype yeah. of Vietnamese community. Honestly, yeah. Also, she would never have work there i don't think yeah i don't think so she clearly doesn't look like someone who would have yeah. done that because yeah because um she speaks english right. yeah. those those women and those people who usually do work at the nail salons they are sort of locked into those circumstances that kind of employment because they don't speak mm. english mm. and may was like perfectly fluent yeah. yeah so weird now can you tell me since you've already spoiled the mm. ending can you tell me um does may get together with ryan core Yes. Oh, see? <laughs> That's why I didn't want to watch the end because I was like, I do not want to watch this really hot girl get together with this really hot guy because I'm just going to be jealous. Oh. <laughs> Don't tell me how they get together. Okay. You, you still have to watch it. It's only I, four I, episodes. I can't be bothered. There are much better. I'm just, 
yeah, I'm not being yeah. a very good Australian here, not uh-huh. supporting Australian drama. <laughs> There's too much American stuff out there that's... Or Japanese stuff, which we'll yeah, talk about right. later. Yeah, Yeah. Let's take another break. Um, and we'll be right back with you guys. Stay tuned. Back to Asian Bitches Down Under. Helen, uh, what have you been listening to podcast-wise? Okay, uh, before we finish on to the podcast, I want just, I don't know, if, I just want to quickly finish our discussion about the um, visual media intake. Um, I just want to quickly stress that please go and watch Great Pretender. I don't know, I, I can't stress enough to recommend this animation and I know you're going to get sick of me, Jess. I just want to urge everyone to go and watch it. It's brilliant storyline. And it's just an amazing way how the animation have kind of manipulate how you predict the story will go and keeps you wanting wanting to know what happened next. Mm. The final story, you have to watch it to the end. Like, oh my God, I was so emotional watching it. And really? it's about the valuation of art as well. That's all I'm going to okay. tell you because I know that you're into art. You know, yeah. I think um, we probably will have some kind, some sort of discussion in the future about like who obtains the power to determine the value of art and how individual mm. values are differently. Yeah. So mm. this is all I'm gonna say about this that animation. But it's yeah, go and watch it. <laughs> okay. If I'm if I am not very happy with it, I can. You have to buy me something. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy you have you to buy me like yeah. a book or something. <laughs> There's so many books yeah, I need to read. <laughs> okay, yeah. deal. Okay. Um, podcasts that I've been listening to. I finished Nice White Parents and I'm halfway Rabbit through Hole, Rabbit yeah. Hole. So I yeah. put both of them onto Helen because I'm kind of, of mm-hmm. obsessed with anything that the New York Times brings out. And I've always been very interested in um, the ways in which racism structurally um, begins in the education of children. And so um, mm-hmm. I started listening to a couple of episodes and then Helen actually has gone past me. So, Helen, why do you like Nice White Parents? Because you said um, the fourth episode made you cry. Yeah, it was so fucked. I don't know. I don't want to give, like, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, yeah. To, like, I, I do encourage people to listen to it. Oh, I, um, I too, too. I do, too. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to listen to it. You would understand that what's the actual systematic racism that occurs in US and possibly in Australia as well, oh, I think. Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, it's Sometimes it doesn't come down to the sense of how the government regulates stuff, but it's the power of the community that really influences of how one chooses what kind of system like what what kind of education path that you your child will lead towards mm. yeah it's it's just um a very horrifying history lesson which i yeah. feel like everyone needs mm-hmm. to listen to and it repeats yeah. itself oh it's absolutely continually repeating itself yeah and what about the rabbit hole so i i started listening to the rabbit hole mm-hmm. reluctantly because i looked at who was presenting them and there were two white men oh, hosting yeah. the rabbit hole and uh-huh. i was like oh i don't want to listen to two white men talk um, but then <laughs> I, but then I listened to the first episode because, like I said, I'm obsessed with anything that the New York Times puts out. And seriously, it is absolutely horrifying mm-hmm. in its um, 
the stuff that basically the rabbit hole talks about how um how people are sucked into the internet um like things like um YouTube uh, YouTube for instance and mm. 4chan these sort of pockets in the internet where people's lives are completely altered mm-hmm. dra- dramatically and that then have real life consequences um so yeah. one of the episodes talk about talks about Q Qanon Q Anon mm-hmm. I don't even know how to pronounce it and how um and Cutie Pie is another guy like a YouTube um YouTube crazy apparently alt right dude who you know um he was mentioned um by the man who committed the um Christchurch shootings last year Um, and why I'm fascinated by this and why I put Helen onto it is because I'm really 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 fascinated not by internet culture but by any culture where it tends to be men Mm -hmm. like predominantly men male space and this whole like this whole space of internet um, subculture and internet kind of um, crazy cults a lot of it it's just like young men. That's right. A lot of young men mm-hmm. who don't have some sort of guidance. real world identity yeah. guidance here, and then they just get sucked in. And that's why I really wanted to listen to it because it's really about young men. That's right. Yeah. And like I've said a million times on this show, I'm fascinated by any space that is predominantly male. That's because I think because most when we're talking about feminism, we. I don't want to go into long about this, but when we're talking about feminism, we tend to center about how we improve life of women, and we don't look at why it had started, why the oppression has started, and why you know perpetrators become perpetrators or young men become radicalized. I think um, rabbit hole really goes into kind of explore and unpack what sort of things that young male are consuming nowadays yeah um it's really worrying it's really worrying yes like i I think i keep texting you and saying that oh my god so fucked i mean i know the seriousness of it i didn't know that it's so scary it's so scary yeah Mm, it's petrifying that's why i said i think i used the word horrifying when i first described this this yeah. show is so well done. For it's anyone right, yeah. who hasn't listened to it, you um, it is so like has you have to go out and listen to it. It's incredible. Yeah, I think I, I listened to the first two episodes, and <clears throat> that evening, I, I spoke to my husband saying that should we go and check out son's Luke, laptop? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, because we're giving the freedom of using access to the internet. Yeah, and. We kind of like there's certain there's base rules as well for him to use the internet, and we always told him that you know, um, if there's cyberbullying happening, things like that, we need to know, and mm. we kind of set out the ground rules for that. And we know that because of his social circles, I don't like I, I do hope that I, <laughs> I don't encounter, you know, mm. looking through his browsing White history. Stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I I do worry about it. That's why I kind of. Saying that, oh, maybe we should do like a regular check. And, yeah. Um, it's just a place that, as a parent, that you will probably. It's hard to monitor. Exactly. Monitor. Exactly. Yeah. It's not. It's not like in our generation that we only have phone. Like our parents know who we're going out with and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Internet is somewhere that is just so invisible to yeah. parents. 
Yeah, yeah you can't really police the digital landscape of someone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, take one more break before we launch into this week's big topic of Father's Day. And welcome back. So with Asian Bitches Down Under, we thought this week, in anticipation of Sunday's event, commercial event, Father's Day, um, uh, I told Helen that I wanted to chat about this idea of Father's Day because we had Helen also reminded me that we did a pod on Mother's Day during Mm -hmm. May and I wanted to chat to Helen about this because this idea of Father's Day because I've always been fascinated by this idea of what it means to be a father and how fathers are this progeny of masculinity Mm. and patriarchy and the status Mm -hmm. you know that fatherhood has Mm -hmm. with a man Mm -hmm. and um so questions around fatherhood I've asked is like, what does it mean to be a father? Yeah. And how, how is it celebrated in our society? Mm-hmm. And most importantly, after talking to Billy and Kyle about this, who has access to it? Who has access to being a father and who doesn't, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of gay men who want to be single fathers. Much, much harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a billion layers, a, a billion barriers Definitely. for them to become fathers, yeah. you know? Parents, basically. Yeah. And... And who who are who of us out there are most qualified mm-hmm. for fatherhood, yeah. and who are denied it? You know. Yeah, I think it's the same question goes out to mothers as well, just in par- parents in general. I mean, for this week, I looked up a couple of papers. You know, the academic papers they have definitions of fathers. I mean, same with like parents, of course. Uh, emotional support for the mum, uh, engagement, exhibit, exhibit. Exib- <laughs> I can't pronounce the word. What is it? Accessibil- access- accessibility. Accessibility. Yeah, accessibility, responsibility, and so it's very multidimensional. Yeah. Um, and also there's professors saying that uh, you know there's actually fifteen key aspects of how father could involve in childcare. Oh my um, god. I don't want to list them out, but it includes like planning, providing protection, providing emotional support, communication, teaching, you know, etc. But I was just looking at it around like thinking, oh my fucking God, you know, I wish anyone who wants to actually become a father would actually read through those papers because I don't see <laughs> enough men out there fathers, who become yeah, fathers. That's well, right. Like, yeah. Don't you think all that list um, might as well be like for a woman as well? That's right. Yeah, it's true. It does, it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be segregated according of to course. what gender you are. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's why often um, Billy and I often talk about this, and he says like often the best parents that he has seen um, are gay couples because mm-hmm. there are no like um, traditional roles that they take on that uh, they just yep. they they create their own rules, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. often works out the best. Yeah, There's no leaning yeah. on history. There's no leaning on discrimination or, or tendencies that were prescribed to us by people long dead, by people outside yeah. of your couple status, mm-hmm. you know? That's right, yeah. yeah. So I've looked into, like, um, because of our own background, I look into information and articles about Asian fathers. Is there a difference between Asian fathers and Western fathers, do you think? Um. I think so. I think okay. so. I mean, it depends on Asian fathers. I think specifically we're talking about Asian immigrant fathers. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, I think their experience will be different because to the, like the Western dads, because of course, again, immigrants will have so much 
to that the experience that they as a father they gone through will be so much different to western dad i think yeah yeah let me see i've got a quote here from a sociology professor uh wenju jin yon she she wrote in her 2013 journal um the article says i'm gonna quote here as the labor market attached among women with children strengthens gender ideologies become more egalitarian and globalization forces unfold there is a heightened expectation of new fathers who will provide more physical and emotional care to children in addition to financial resources and moral teaching as in many europeans Mm. and north american Mm. countries yeah um that's i think she's talking more specifically talking about our like our current generation's father but if you if we look back on our dad's generation as immigrant dads there's a lot of i feel like they had there's less emotional that has expressed by them yeah and i have to say i always thought it was an asian thing that um asian parents or you know asian parents um asian fathers just are kind of emotionally mutilated um and mm. don't express emotions but recently i've been going on a lot of dates with a lot of different men um mostly mm-hmm. white men um mm-hmm. and a couple of jewish men because i have a thing for jewish men um not fetishizing just putting it out there <laughs> i don't fetishize jewish people okay i just like i just it's so weird how desire plays out seriously like mm. <laughs> I, I could go on i could go on forever but anyway um, and I've been talking to a lot of these men and realizing that it's not an Asian thing. Like a lot of these men tell me mm-hmm. that their fathers were emotionally stilted. Mm-hmm. It must be a Do generational think, thing. I think it could be a generational thing, and also because Jewish their history background. Yeah, there's be, a lot of trauma there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah, for yeah, our there's dad, trauma, yeah. there's a lot of trauma. Like our dad's dad starved in the Chinese Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to quickly quote another, um, I'm quoting so much today, uh, another professor from Harvard Graduate of Education. I don't care what a Harvard professor thinks. But anyway, go yeah, on. But I just, yeah, but I think it's quite relevant of what okay. she said, jo- Josephine Kim. She said that for Asian fathers, when their main concern was on survival, fitting into the new culture and mm. bringing bread on the table, what Americans think was male was not their priority. Yep. The Asian culture di- definition of masculinity relies heavily on scholarship and not showing a weakness. It also translates for the man to show less emotion. And she also mentioned that um, the different values also lead to second generation Asian American children um, to misunderstand their fathers as unloving and uncaring <laughs> yeah. seen through the lens of their americanized culture perspective i mean oh, i'm quoting just, america here yeah but it's the story of our lives yeah. yeah pretty much um there's something in one of the article i went through it was quite interesting saying that um asian men in western nations has been kind of been not considered as masculine because yeah. earlier generations they were put into um works such as laundry and cooking right so that could be one of the aspects that they were considered not as masculine as white male so what's the relationship between masculinity and fatherhood is there a relationship i think so you feel i feel like you have tied it in with that comment that you've just made Mm -hmm. because Yeah. yeah um does any sort of 
ideal ideological aspect of masculinity does it penetrate fatherhood i wonder i think it comes down to again like how the society certain society expect how men should feel oh no sorry how men should behave behave as a father and how a mother should behave as a yeah as a as woman, a woman exactly. as a woman so yeah. yeah because really a child's first example role model template for a man and a woman um if they're if the child grows up in a heterosexual family um mm. is their father and their mother you know they yeah. are the first demonstrations of what it means to be a father and what it means to be a mother i think that's why a lot of men want to become fathers because they want to be a role model for someone they want to to have the power to shape a complete human being's idea of what it, like what it means to be a young of what it means to be a man. That's why I think mm-hmm. a lot of fathers are like, oh, I would love to have a son because it's them passing down their you know passing down their progeny. It's them saying, mm-hmm. oh, I can live forever mm-hmm. through through having um, offspring, an offspring exactly. And I think I just want to bring it back to Death Becomes Her, which was a movie that Helen and I started the show off with this morning. At the very end, um, what happens is uh, Bruce Willis at his funeral, uh, the pastor or the celebrant or whatever you call it, the guy who delivers the <laughs> funeral, he says uh-huh. he says that uh, Bruce Willis had like five children and then he has 13 grandchildren, something like that. Uh-huh. And then he says, so in a way, uh, Ernest Melville, I think his name is, um, ha- is continuing to live forever through these people, through these kids. And then Billy made the great comment that, you know, that is literally patriarchy. That is the... Yeah, it is. That is the perpetuation of this idea that in order to keep on keeping on, because none of us are immortal, but the idea of immortality can only survive through the having of children. Children, yeah. Yeah, And and Billy and I, we both reject that concept, you know, because I want to live forever by writing books, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I feel like as a woman, I still feel, I still feel this, I feel, I feel like the older I get, the more comfortable I am, I am with not having children. Um, yep. But, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like as a woman, it's harder for me to reject parenthood. Because I'll be judged oh. more severely. I don't, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, for me, I don't need to lean on this idea of living forever through making another human being. Like, the idea of... Yeah, of course. The idea of yeah. making another human being just... I don't even know how to think about it right now. I think it's petrifying, especially after listening to Rabbit Hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you think about the offsprings that is out there, billions of kids, you never know. If they don't turn out well, I think, you know, as a parent, that is, is quite scary. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever asked your husband Sean? Have you ever mm. asked him how fatherhood has changed him? Oh, I don't. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I'd like to know yeah. because yeah. I have. I'll, think, I'll ask yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Because I have. Um, I've dated a few fathers before, and I, uh-huh. I've always asked them. Um, were you different after your baby came out? And they all uh-huh. said. All of them said uh, no. None of them said, oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, all of them have said, no, nah, I'm the same person. I'm oh, the same person with more okay. responsibility. But deep inside, they said, oh, I still feel like the kid I was at, like, 18. Okay. So what what were you expecting them? As to in say? what kind of change? Yeah. What kind of a change I you I thought expecting? that they would say, I see the world differently. 
that there are spectrums of the human existence that they are now open to that they hadn't been open to. Uh-huh. And I feel like, um, like Leslie Jameson talks about this in her latest article in The Atlantic where she talks about Donald Judd's artwork. Donald Judd mm-hmm. was this um, sculptor, I think, or an artist. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's now dead. But um, Leslie Jameson has a toddler. She's a mother. And she mm-hmm. says this, she talks about how this idea that um, a lot of artists fear, initially fear having babies because we, we're scared that they'll eat into our time. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, primarily the fear that I currently have, right? Because I want to give my whole self to my art. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says in this essay that actually maybe there's another way of seeing parenthood. Maybe as an artist you can use your role as a parent to allow it to open up different spaces in your mind and in your heart that expands yeah. your relationship yeah. with your art rather than diminishes. Yes. And I found that really beautiful. I thought, yeah. oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe I won't actually, like, kill, want to kill myself if I ever become a mother, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think the perspective shifts when you have different roles in your life. Not necessary. Um, yeah. Not ne- not necessary change, but it kind of, like you say, it opens up to a lot more options and kind of change what you see. Like, because I, I mean, as an adult, you, you see things through eyes of an adult. But, mm. you know, something that, sometimes when things that my kids say, it's kind of like, to me, it's like, well, okay, I never thought of that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I wonder, um, like, there's, for me, there's this sense that there's a distinguish distinguishing element between like there's wanting to be a father and then there's the performance of fatherhood you know oh yeah there's mm-hmm. there's bragging about it and then there's whether or not you're really well, there yes. for your children that's right yes yeah and and i feel like some dads they perform fatherhood yes. really well but they're not actually good fathers mm-hmm. yeah i think that yeah have you seen have you seen that in your interactions um, with other fathers i mean do you react do you have friends with a lot of other fathers i can't I don't want to assume or judge other people's parenting style, but I do feel that they're definitely um, the kind of fathers that would say what they do. I mean, it's just like a lot of men on dating, wouldn't it? Like when they... They just show off. Yeah, they just show off. But deep down when they go home, they like, you know... Um, just they put gonna, the kids in front of the yeah, TV. <laughs> they're, they're just going to leave it with the mom or... You know, get their wives to do it, get their partners to do it. Um, I think bragging as a father, I can see it from our dad, to be honest. Like, um, yeah, because he goes back to Taiwan and brags about Kev. Yeah, he. he <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we love our dad, <laughs> um, but I, I do I think. Love him, yeah. uh, it, I guess it's a value for him to show her off. I remember when he was telling his friends in Taiwan how many grandkids he's got and how right, well yeah. that his kids are doing in Australia. Right, right, um, yeah. I think it's basically because that he has given up so much in Taiwan. Like, this is he like kind to. of his return yeah. of investment. <laughs> yeah, like he needs to show that it was all worth it. Yeah, yeah. And it's in the language 
in which they the people back in Taiwan would understand. That's right. Yeah. I wonder. Like I was thinking whether fatherhood is seen. Do you think fatherhood is seen as an extension of manhood, and what it means to be a man? Ah,、uh, biologically, yeah, of course, it's reproductive. You know, meaning like man,、uh, for woman, you know, having kids as well. But um, I think it's only biological sense, but socially, probably. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I think definitely we still have a very narrow lens in what it means to be a mature and adult.、Mm-hmm. For for a、yeah. man to be a mature adult, he needs to be a father. Like I think that is the most universally accepted way of adjudicating one's viability for the status of adulthood、yeah. or maturity. I think the responsibility comes with it. Yeah, and a man who doesn't have kids in his fifties is suspect. <laughs> I honestly do.、Uh-huh. Like you meet a guy who's fifty-five, single, who doesn't have kids. Don't you? Won't you start thinking? You won't respond to him, engage with him in the way that you would respond to engaging with him if he had kids and a wife. You know,、mm-hmm. a kids and a wife is like the standard sort of pair of jeans that people wear on the social norm. Yeah, the social no, the social social norm that、uh-huh. society has constructed、yeah. for us. Yeah. yeah, you know. Do you want to guess what the average age of the first-time father is? I found this out this week. Uh, in what country or area? Australia. Twenty-nine. Thirty-three. Thirty-three. Is that yeah, the data the from from what year? Is it twenty twenty?、Uh, re- okay, so the latest. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So it's getting later. I assume it's the same for the woman, isn't it? As in later, probably a bit、life. younger.、Yeah. Probably a bit younger than thirty-three. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But when I read that, I was like, "Shit, thirty-three." <laughs> what were you? What were you、scary. thinking? As in, what were you think? Oh, the, the first time、yeah. father. Yeah. Um. Oh God, you know what? It's so hard for me because none of my friends are fathers, <laughs> <laughs> and none of my friends have kids. Not、mm. none of my closest friends have kids, and、uh-huh. so this idea of. Being a parent is so foreign to my closest friends. <laughs>、wow. Just extending、um, this idea of father and the the sort of the reverence that fathers have and the power that they have. I wanted、uh-huh. to tell you guys about.、Uh, I think a couple of years ago, I went on a yoga retreat in the Blue Mountains、uh-huh. with a friend,、uh-huh. and it was an all woman weekend.、Mm-hmm. And during that weekend, I went with a friend who took her best friend, who was gay,、mm-hmm. and her friend, male friend. He was in the other group that was an. It was for an all male a weekend、mm-hmm. workshop, and the whole weekend I was dying to know what the male all male workshop were talking about, but、mm-hmm. I couldn't get in there because I'm not a, a man. A man. <laughs> yeah, and I always want to know what goes on between men conversations、uh-huh. around、yeah. men, and so one recess lunchtime. Uh, during this retreat, I went、um, and talked to. I was allowed to go and talk to this guy, her, my friend's friend, and I was like, "Tell me about what you guys are talking about." And he said to me, roughly, he said, "Oh, um, the fathers keep coming up," and、mm. I was like, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Just every time we have a session, it seems that all the men all want to talk about is their fathers." Mm-hmm. And I, he said that there was a lot of trauma being unpacked about、mm-hmm. fathers and the weight that fathers had brought onto these grown men. Like a lot of these men were in their forties, fifties, sixties. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, wow, 
like uh, or like I just think men just want to talk about their dads as well like you know how women just have this fucking complicated relationship with their mothers yeah same with the same with that guys like guys have complicated relationships with their fathers yeah they're just not allowed to talk about it out in public yeah you don't have books written about the male the son father relationship i think as much as the daughter mother relationship yeah maybe you would disagree would you disagree I think human relationship portrayal in a lot of, well, at least for what I've read, um, in novels as in like fictions or non-fictions, there's not a lot that is out there talking about relationship between father and son. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I mean, there's definitely a lot out there. Yeah, but I'm just like, like I haven't come across um, the emotional landscape. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes on to what we're going to talk about later about how celebration of Father's Day has been commercialized and the kind of products that's been presented. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about the commercialization of Father's Day. Welcome back to Asian Bitches Down Under, guys. So, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, <laughs> I've always felt that whenever Mother's Day or Father's Day comes around, you really get to see gender norms being very, very strongly grooved into us. Yeah. For instance, like in the Minor 10 ads, give this, give your father today... Give your father the oh best gift God. this Father's Day with a tour kit. Da, 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 da. Or like um, super cheap auto. Super cheap auto. Father's Day. Da, 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 da. It just It's like it shouts at you. They shout at you. Blast it into you, into your ears in the radio. Oh, my God. Yeah, those ads. What know. have you noticed? Uh, That's what I've noticed. Like uh, all, all fathers want are tools or books about cricketers who have died. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, without dad, I think commodification, um, our dad is a person who is never, like, big on fancy stuff, you know? Like, okay, yeah, our dad is, like, mentally un- unwell. <laughs> My, our dad is a, has mental illness where he, like, hates himself so much that he just doesn't feel like he deserves any gifts. Like, literally, in our whole, my Helen and I, our whole lives, whenever we give dad a gift, he would just, like, like literally push it away. Yeah, it's so strange. I don't know if other Asian dads like that, but he he doesn't like receiving gifts at all. Yeah, he doesn't. He hates it. He, he hates ha- it. Yeah. Like he he gets an he gets angry at us when we give him gifts. Yeah. That's how fucked up he is. Yeah, it just I don't know. He he doesn't want <laughs> I know we should have been joking about his <laughs> this, but he just doesn't want gifts and he prefers I know that he prefers the sentiment sentiment more than the actual tangible stuff. Yeah. But it kind of, like, we get sick of it, I think, growing up and now as adults. We just get sick of it because we get his stuff. And then two years later, we kind of dig through his shelves and found the gifts that is <laughs> never opened. Yeah, like, for example, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, Helen gave 
my our dad a bread maker. Oh yeah, that's right. And uh, what happened to that bread maker, Helen? <laughs> it's in my house now. I've been using it. Good. So the so it's, bread maker, yeah. because we always know that our dad loves making, yeah, bread, making bread and he, yeah. he loves playing with the dough and things like that. But I think because our mum is so strict about her kitchen, she literally doesn't really allow anyone else to like do anything in her kitchen. Yeah. And our dad kind of backed off from like cooking and making things in the kitchen. Yeah, it happened so to me as well. He enjoys making bread. So I thought that this is like about 10 years ago already. And I thought that, okay, I'm going to get him the bread maker. Um, kind of saves him the energy of like kneeling the dough and things like that. Yeah, and then uh-huh. it sat in his house for what, like six months. And I look at it, I said, Dad, haven't you start using it? And he said, that, Oh, no, I don't think your mom will allow me to use that in the <laughs> <Jesus>. kitchen. <laughs> yes. he, he just said, that, Oh, if you want to use it, take it. <laughs> so I uh-huh. just bought it home. Well, I always, uh, same tactic, me strategy. My strategy is uh, I get the books for people that <laughs> I want to read. <laughs> Literally, I buy people books and then I say, hey, can I read that first? <laughs> I'm so selfish. <laughs> Buying gifts is all about me. <laughs> well, anyway, so like Jesse said, that you have seen the Father's Day Dad give the advertisement. There's certain color dominations, you know, like beige, brown, pine or blue and timber oh, style, blue, hipster, blue, New yeah. Hampshire and like Oxfordish kind of style background. And if we want to talk about the books, I kind of I checked out some of the bookstores website. For, they call it the Father's Day's Essentials. So they're even using the word essentials. It sounds like if you don't buy these books, you're kind of uh, as a child, you're inadequate for your father or something. Yeah, like or that. there's something wrong with your dad if he's not interested in Ricky Ponting. Yeah, it's so freaking annoying. So obviously they're all mostly they're uh, male authors. There was only one female author on the top page that I've seen um, so there are books about male sportsmen, entertainer, politician Ugh. out of the 23 books um, the so called recommendation list, there were 3 books about wine, novels on spy, crime, forensic, murder military, <laughs> thriller oh. and the non-fiction ones are on science and technology <laughs> so they're very they're very one dimensional Exactly. Yeah, you don't see romance novels that's been yeah. promoted for Father's Day. Yeah. Why? Men, men are not interested in romance. They're not interested or they were told they not were, to not, be interested? Yeah, no, that's what it? I meant. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. I was being sarcastic. Men, yeah. The, and yet men are so interested in sex, right? Men are so <laughs> driven by sex. Just not romance. Men yeah, are not so interested strange. in romantic stories. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. The gender stereotype, I think, is extremely amplified during this time. Um, apart from books, you look just look at the gifts um, for Father's Day. It's oh, barbecue set, beer yeah. set, socks, ties. Shaving like cream. Yeah, shaving cream. I mean, if it's biological things, I can understand, like boxes or like essentials. Socks. That's fine. <laughs> but like sports jerseys and... Yeah. Somehow, that the sports industry have to be amplified. Oh yeah, because most Father's men, because yeah. most men like sport, right? I'd say, mm. I wouldn't say I, I would actually back off from that statement because all of my male friends, both gay and heterosexual, are not into sport because none oh, yeah, of my, my yeah Sean's none not of my into sport yeah none no. of my male friends are alpha alpha type generic one dimensional. <laughs> finance bros yeah. or like barristers god i hate those men sorry that sounds makes me sound like such a 
The only anyway, gift advertisement um, I've seen, I think it's been a bit more consistent for both mum and dad is uh, they are massage chocolate, chocolate and massage oh, okay. chairs. <laughs> right. Seems yeah. like massage chairs. Gender neutral yeah, stuff. Gender neutral, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I have to say, um, when I was a kid, I used to love flipping through the Christmas uh, Christmas shopping list uh, ideas, uh-huh. the wish list. Yeah, catalogue. And yeah. that, yeah, catalogue, and that is very gendered. That yeah. is extremely yeah, gendered. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, like all the mother's pages would be pink. like pink. <laughs> all the dad's pages would be blue. Yeah. And they'll have like, like you said, Oxford shirts, uh, biographies of, I don't know, Richie Bonneau or some other cricketer. It's just so boring. Military shit. That's right, yeah. Seriously, are men interested in military history? Really? Yeah. I don't... Yeah, it's just so annoying. I think, why can't fathers receive, like, flowers or spa vouchers? I know, Everyone should start a trend of sending just their dads about flowers and... Flowers, Spa vouchers. (laughs) On top of that... Um... My kids' school events for Mother's Day and Father's Day is so different as well. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's completely gendered. It's Tell so us. so gendered. Tell us. Okay, so I did notice this until last year that I was just thinking, because uh, my child is in year two this year, youngest child I am. Um, so every year they have uh, different celebrations for Mother's Day and Father's Day. Of course, they will ha- all have like like Mother's Day store and Father's Day store where they bring a couple of dollars to the school and uh, kind of like fundraising for the school and they buy stuff. But event-wise, Mother's Day they have morning tea and Father's Day they have breakfast. <laughs> Why? Like mothers have the time for morning tea where when it happens between like 11 to 12 and the fathers and can fathers, only do breakfast yep. before the school. Because they have important work to it's get so to. It's so funny because last year when I put out this question on my Facebook, and literally mm. like two minutes later, of course, the mum replied underneath. Like my question was like, oh, why is there Mother's Day? They have morning tea and Father's Day have breakfast. Breakfast, and yeah. Like two minutes later, uh, uh, one of my Facebook friends um reply as a comment saying that oh because fathers have to go out and make money so they can only was she doing that tunning was she doing that jokingly uh i don't think so i think she was like saying it in a very straight face right and mothers don't make money it's just so stupid like i mean i never attend any of those i mean i'm like sean never attend any of those because um because you're not social you don't want to be friends with other mothers uh, i'm I'm just, there's no problem with any other mothers, okay? But I'm just very antisocial and I just don't feel like, I don't know, I feel kind of awkward going to, to those kind of events. Yeah, I, if I become a mother, I'd be the most awkward mother there is because I would be such a snob. <laughs> I would be there just judging all the other mothers. And and also, I would be awkward because the only link that we would have is the fact that our children, children are in the, the same, same school. Grade. Yeah. I, what kind of fucking link is that? It's a weak link. I, I feel like it's like, Telling, like events like that, it's just saying that okay, mums don't, mums don't have work. Like they yeah. are free to turn up at eleven o'clock. Yeah, at eleven o'clock morning yeah. tea, or yeah, morning tea also. Or also, the, that, yeah, the fact that that food is gendered. Yeah, and it's just it, it kind of, I don't know if the Father's word discriminate is appropriate here to use. It's kind of I think it is discriminating against the mums who are actually working 
and not able to attend to make the, the 11 yeah the time. 11 o'clock time and those mums like i don't know the word privilege or the you know is appropriate here they are okay to go and attend those events what happens to the kids that who doesn't i mean like my kids doesn't have like their parents showing up on the event hey really it doesn't matter i mean look at you and me our parents never showed up to any school events and we turned out okay right yeah i just feel like why do they have if you're gonna have a just have it all morning tea or have it all breakfast why did the dad get to have the breakfast whereas the mom have the morning tea yeah why do dads have to eat sausage bacon roll yeah and mums have to eat scones Yeah. Huh? Why? Because it's fucking gendered, man. Yeah, it is. The patriarchy has made everything gendered. That's right, yeah. And I think you're a fucking genius, Hell, that you spotted that because I did, yeah. When Helen told me a few <laughs> days ago about this, about how mothers have morning teas and fathers have breakfast, I was like, oh my God, you need to write a book about this. <laughs> Not literally, I didn't actually say that, but I was just like, it's, see, this is why we love talking to you listeners. Like, we like to unpack the little subtle ways in which Mm. men and women are put into boxes yeah you know yeah because yeah. i remember one of the mother's day like i never i honestly never attend those mother's day morning tea and i think i come up with i don't come up with excuses but i just kind of tell my kids the reason that i don't want to go what do you but, say uh, i'll tell you about that a little bit later but you i say mummy doesn't like <laughs> other mummies <laughs> but basically um I tell them the reason that I don't feel like to go and they understand and that's fine. But I also tell them that um, I kind of explain to them that, you know, there are mums out there that have to, has to work to keep their kids in school and to keep food on table. That's why there are mothers that don't go or can't, cannot go. And they understand that they don't, they don't feel like there's a differences I remember one year that I literally was working during that time, so I didn't ha- I didn't have the time to go to that morning tea, and of course I would choose not to go. I I can't remember what I told my kid, but he just uh, this is my eldest kid, and he came home and told me that oh it's fine you didn't come because you know there are other moms that who didn't turn mm. up, or there's my other moms who are working as well, who couldn't make it, and I I think it's. I don't know. I just don't feel like, why do you have to have an event that's in the middle of the day and so inconvenient, inconvenient <laughs> for yeah. the mothers? Yeah. It's so inconvenient for the mothers, honest, honestly. Someone should bring this like, up. Just have it yeah. on breakfast or don't have it at all. Yeah. yeah, just don't have it at all, actually. Or have it virtually. Or don't even yeah, celebrate. Ma- no, actually, no. I think we should celebrate. I don't know. Just celebrate it at your celebrate home. Why do you have to print it? As- or not. Yeah. What's a better version? What could be a better version? Maybe like just like, why don't you just, um, why don't the school, instead of spending all that money to create the event, just like you put all that money into a fund and then distribute it equally and give everyone spa vouchers. Yes. Yes. How about that? (laughs) That would be brilliant. Yeah. I think the world would be a better place if everyone had spa vouchers distributed to them at every like six month intervals. I think... Uh-huh. Saying that, I've never been to a spa voucher spa. Like I've had like massages, obviously, but I've never had a spa. I think. Have you? Um, I had facials before, facials and massages. I oh, facials do yeah. nothing. Facials do nothing. Yeah. 
Okay, I think that, um, that was a good chat today. Anything else? Final words, Helen? Oh, um, we've mentioned when, when you were talking about the gendered social interaction, remember that you were talking about the how why high tea is very popular with women. women. With and women. you were yeah, asking, and- oh, uh, I think it was a conversation about how when one group, when there's both genders in a or multiple genders in, it yeah, they segregated, get segregated yeah. as the time goes. Yeah, so Helen was bringing up the fact that a lot of cultures in, in a lot of and religions, mm. how when they come into a space, they are gender segregated. So, for instance, in Muslim um, Muslim yeah. culture, and also like when I was in Yemen, uh, there was a separate a whole separate place for women to worship mm-hmm. in the mosque, yeah. and so I went in there and just was surrounded by women, and there was another separate chamber yeah. for men. And in the synagogue, same thing. Uh, and then Helen, and then Helen brought this up, and then I said to Helen, "It's interesting because whenever I go to a large gathering, a party, I've noticed throughout my whole life any social gathering, and my group of friends are all very secular. What tends to happen, I've observed, is that after about like at the beginning of the social interaction, right, the party, mm. you'd see men and women yeah. mingling." And then towards the end of this, like within one hour, you see that the there are clear gender segregation. Yeah. So the men will just be talking to men and the girls yeah. will be talking to each other. And I was like, whoa, what the yeah, hell? I know. It's so, so funny weird. that how Western culture complained about Muslims' conservativeness where yeah. they're doing the same but we actually, themselves. Yeah, often. Yeah. Can I just say to all your listeners out there, this weekend when you go out to a social interaction... Observe yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I bet you'll go. You'll see it. Observe that at the picnic table or the beach when there's a large group gathering. You'll see that the men congregate together around the barbecue, talking, and the women will be talking, looking after the kids with babies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, anything else that you want to? No, I think yeah. we had a good chat. I'm just. I'm going to run yeah, to the beach okay. now. Uh, so I want to do a shout out actually to our mum this week. I was helping our mum to look up the Chinese drama last week at her place, like going through her iPad. Yeah. And I noticed that she um, have our podcast open on her safari. I don't know if she listened to us, but it's so nice. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I know how much we complain, Thanks, but it's so nice seeing that she's probably listening to us. Yeah. Okay, so so once again, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Please give us a rating and review. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under and we welcome discussions and feedbacks. Yeah, great to chat. See you guys. Have a good Father's Day, whatever you're doing. Don't go out and buy barbecue sets for your dad. Your dads are better than that. Buy romance novels. Meals and boots for your dad. How about that? Or buy Jesse Chu's book. Oh, even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the bookstores have been piling out the Father's Day reading list. And I, I sent a message to Helen saying, why is my book not on that list? Yeah. You know, what, dads are not interested in a 22-year-old Asian woman having mm. a lot of sex? Of course they are. <laughs> okay, go and buy Jesse's book. Oh, I was just going to say, what's the kinkiest gift you can give your dad? Um, Lubricant? Yeah, sex toys. I don't know. Anal beads. <laughs> yeah. We talk, yeah. <laughs>